Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we have the great Stan Van Gundy with us. He's one of the most colorful characters in NBA history and beyond being a great person, he's a hell of a coach. So let's get to it. Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you again, Darlene. This week's guest is one of the most unique members of the basketball family. He's, Pel- he's Pelicans head coach Stan Van Gundy. Stan, where do we begin? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we're, we're trying to begin with playing a little bit of defense, uh, Mike, which we haven't been uh, we haven't been doing any of. So uh, that's where we're beginning. But uh, where you want to begin, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, th- we'll get that out of the way real quick because it is look, it's the, it's the most important thing going on in your life right now, uh, professionally. I I think uh, I, lo- I love those young guys. They're just a fun team, but it's be- defense is such a bedrock of what you teach, what you preach and how you win. And that must, that, that was, it's one thing for guys to be missing shots, but it must eat you up inside when you're just not getting the effort that you want. Yeah. It, it's effort and focus, but it, it's just, we're, we haven't been good there. I mean, we're 28th in the league right now defensively and um, that's not going to get it done. Our offense is good. We're the seventh best offense in the league over the last 11 games. We've been the best offense in the league. So um, you know, we've improved on that end of the floor. We were struggling early in the year, and and now we're not turning the ball over. We're getting good shots. Our two best players are playing, you know, outstanding basketball and getting other people involved besides just scoring. Um, there's a lot of Lonzo Ball's playing well at the offensive end of the yeah. floor and shooting the ball. Bledsoe shot the ball well all year. We're playing well at that end, and if we could just even be decent defensively, we'd give ourselves a chance, but uh, right now we're not there. Uh, it's a good group, high character group. I think they want to get it done. Um, you know, we just don't have the habits right now. We don't uh, to be where we need to be. Uh, Zion Williamson, I want to say he's um, a guy beyond his years because of how how much he's progressed. And But sometimes, you know, basketball doesn't equate to what a guy's like. It, it's Everything I've heard from you, you sound like you really enjoy coaching him. Yeah, look, I mean, he's, first of all, as you said, I mean, you know, he's uh, he's an amazing talent. He hasn't yet played his 50th game in the NBA, you know, and he's he's 20 years old, um, doesn't turn 21 until July. I mean, it's amazing what he's able to do offensively and at the uh, efficiency level, you know, um, he's incredible. He, you know, the first thing when I this summer, Coach K was uh, gracious enough to take some time to talk with me because 
obviously Brandon Ingram, Zion, you know, his guys. Um, mm. It took a lot of time. And what he kept saying about Zion was how smart he was. You know, he just kept coming back to that. And that has certainly played out. I mean, he's a he's a smart guy in terms of learning um, whatever it is you want to do system-wise. He's a smart guy in terms of being able to analyze um, what's happening on the court. Um, so that's fun. Um, his talent is fun. Um, you know, he's just like most of our team. He's got a long ways to go defensively. That's the yeah. that's really the issue. You know, so. We'll see what happens. We're trying to transition him more and more into being a primary ball handler. Yeah. You know, um, playing some point forward. Uh, I don't know that, you know, we can do that a lot more than we are based on his conditioning and things, you know. Mm. And I don't mean that his conditioning is bad. It's just you're taking a big body, and if you're asking him to do that on a full-time basis – it's tough. So we're trying to get yeah. him on free throws and dead balls, um, places like that where he can handle and lead the offense, um, trying to develop a little bit more of a package around him, um, that type of thing. Um, I, I think the sky's the limit with him, you know, starting to really make free throws now, you know, yeah. up, to, up to around 80% over the last five games. Um, I think eventually he's going to be able to shoot the three and shoot it well. Um you know, looking at his future, which will go far beyond my tenure <laughs> here. You um, don't know that. No, no, no. I'm 61 years old. My man's 20. You know, uh, okay, I'm right. not going to be doing this in 15 years. I know right. that. Um, you know, the it, it's just he's going to be a guy that's going to be fun for all of us yeah. to watch um, over the years as he continues to improve and get better. I love that interview with Coach K, by the way. I listened to it. At, I, it was like live when I when I heard it. And I was driving along, and um, there was a great point where Coach K brought up the uh, the quote that J.J. Redick had about training camp. That was hilarious. Like, I, yeah. I know what to expect from Stan already. And, uh, but it was, you know, it, it, was, it was almost in an affectionate way. Well, yeah, and we, you know, the, the tough part for me is, Mike, we came out of training camp exactly the opposite of what we are now we came out of the training camp we only had two weeks but we came yeah. out of training camp defending really well really hard we we're one of the best defensive teams in the league we we're a top 10 defense we were struggling <laughs> offensively to sort of fit together our our spacing and stuff with with uh zion and steven adams and and everything else but but we came out of the gates at four and two based mainly on our defense um and I don't know if it's been the lack of practice time, which I'm not using that as an excuse because every team in the league's in the same boat. But I don't know with our guys if it's a lack of practice time, haven't had the chance to build habits, or we've just lost focus. But um, we've gotten steadily better offensively and steadily worse defensively. So um, how we turn that around, I'm not really sure. It's something we're working at every day. We'll meet again today and, yeah. you know, try to talk to our guys and watch film and try to figure this thing out. Cause I do think they want to get it done. It's a good group. Yeah. I, you can see, you can see they like each other in the nineties. You would just get some like tough SOB and, and get them in for like minimum, minimum uh, salary. And um, he would just start, he, he would enforce the notion that defense was important to the team and the, the team would follow along, but you got to be careful these days. And um and if that's not ingrained in a guy's mentality, it, 
it's a hard thing to build, I imagine. It is a hard thing to build um, that defensive mentality and the defensive habits. And, you know, it goes to, you know, how you evaluate yourself. Are you evaluating yourself only on your offensive numbers or mm. do you, you know, do you evaluate yourself um, defensively? What I've seen from our guys is they, um, mm. you know, they, they hold themselves to a high level of accountability on the offensive end. I mean, you know, they'll get upset with themselves if they're not playing well, that yeah. type of thing. But on the defensive end, not so much. I, I don't think – it's not that they don't care at all. It's not that. I just don't think they judge themselves in that way on the defensive end of the floor. And that's all part of that mentality you're talking about. It's yeah. got to change that, you know, that's half the game. You've got to have the same level of uh, – accountability that you hold yourself to on that end as you do on the uh, offensive end. You're, you're um, uh, you know, progressive is such a, uh, you know, overused term, but I would say enlightened and respectful of others. I, I like that you guys, and, you know, I always get a hard time about being called part of the woke police, but I thought it was awesome that you guys um, had no problem bringing in Teresa Weatherspoon on your bench swing cash in the front office and like your team governors, Gail Benson. I mean, to me, to, to me, it's just, uh, it's just very cool. And it sig signifies the kind of change that everybody needs in the league. Well, I think what you're looking for is the, the best people. And the challenge quite honestly is, um, you know, we, we hear about the, uh, the old boys network the whole time. And, and it's not as it's real, but yeah. it's not as nefarious as I think some people would attribute it to is I think all of us, when we're assembling staffs are, you know, we want to put together the best staff we can. And you tend to go to the people that you know best yourself or can get the best information on. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I hired, for instance, Bob Beyer and Rex Walters and, Ben Oudry, all guys that I had been with before. So I know them. Okay. And yeah. then we keep Fred Vinson and Darnell Lazar, um, you know, who have been here and people know. And so when you start to get out of that network, it gets hard. Now I was fortunate in that Teresa was with the Pelicans last year. Yeah. And so all I did basically was elevate her on my staff, but I, but I knew, and I think one of the problems with, especially in our league with women getting in and things is guys like myself don't run in those circles. And mm. so we don't know a lot of the great women coaches out there. I mean, I know who they are and respected and things like that, but I, my, my circle there isn't big enough and you have to get outside of your comfort zone and talk to people and, you know, mm. find the best people. And, and so that's, that's what I think happens when people talk about the old boy network. I think most people in most jobs, unfortunately, stick to the people they know the most about. Um, yeah. And until we can get more women into the pipeline. And by that, I mean, I think one of the problems with what we've done in the NBA, not a problem, but one of the failings of it is we, we've concentrated so much 
in terms of getting women on the bench. You know, Becky Hammond was the big yes. story in the whole thing. What we need to do is, I think, have a real focus on getting more women in the video room, getting more mm. women into internships, because that's how these people come up. You know, I mean, yeah. Eric Polstra, video room guy. Video Frank, coordinator. Yeah. Frank Vogel, video room guy. You know, yeah. so those are that's the entry level position in our league. We need to get women into those jobs and give them a chance to uh. grow in organizations. So now people say, Hey, that, that woman's really good. She's really good. Yeah. And they make it on their own and they make it on their own merits in that way. And then the second thing we need to do is somehow we've got to, people like me have to increase our, it's hard now in this day and age with COVID, but yeah. increase our interaction, let's say in the off season, um, with women coaches at all levels to get to know who's really good and who you like and, you know, yeah. who you would be interested in hiring and things like that. We've got to get outside of our, our own circle. And um, because it does become an old boys network and not, not because that's intentional, but you've got to intentionally do something different. I feel white men like ourselves are being marginal. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, that yeah, was, no, that's that, like, that was my Sean Hannity. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff makes you laugh when you feel like all the advantage. When I see all the advantages that I've personally right. had and everything else, so um, it, it's easy, quite honestly, in the NBA. Um, you know, I, I think we've done a good job as a league. You know, I, I look at Richard Lapchick. Um, yeah, the, the diversity guy. Yeah, uh, and, and he grades all the leagues and things. Yeah. And our league always does fantastic in terms of racial diversity. Um, yeah, I'm sure we could be better, um, but but we do well in that area. But gender diversity is a whole nother uh, a whole nother thing, and so it's just something I think that we've got to get to know people outside of our own sphere to to know who's really good, and so. Yeah. You know, like I talked to Swin when I first got here, you know, um, when we were putting the staff together about Spoon and, and about some other women coaches and things like that, because there's just I mean, believe me, I know plenty, but a lot of the ones I know are in positions they're not leaving to become an assistant. Yeah. You know? Some of them got great college. Some of them got head coached, head coaching college jobs. Exactly. But there's yes. some great women coaching yeah. in our league now. And um, what, what part of my, what's Teresa Witherspoon doing? She's on our bench. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. She's on our bench and she last year was a, they called her a two way right. coach. So she was going with their two way players back and forth from New Orleans to Erie. So but I'm, I'm sorry, like what's she doing? Like, I'm sorry, what's she doing on your bench? Like, yeah, well, so she, um, in, in terms of players, she's spending a lot of time um, with our point guards and particularly okay. she has put in, she's the primary person working with our rookie Kyra Lewis, who's played very well of late and we're given a chance, 19 years old. Wow. Um, she had coached, either his cousin or his aunt in when she was in college. So she yeah. knew him a little bit. Their relationship was good. Um, she pushes him hard. Um, she's been great with him. Yeah. Um, she tends to look at the game from a, from a defensive uh, vantage point. So 
you know, a lot of her suggestions and things like that in staff meetings are at the, uh, at the defensive end of the floor. And then like everybody on our staff, she sort of coaches everything, but I would say her two major things are our defense and our point guards, particularly Kyra Lewis. And you know, what's crazy about it. The whole thing is you, um, and look, I would never say the NBA is nothing but the most um, progressive league in, in North America and probably the world. And I love the way Adam Silver thinks about a lot of things. But there is sort of like this it, – sometimes the NBA stops itself and says, do, do we want to be like a, a movement or do we want to be a business owners that only – and do we want to pretend this? And I thought that was – you know, that whole uh, – Mixed messages thing came up pretty well last week about the national anthem, which you know I'm going to be going to be honest here. When I saw that, I was like, "It's great." What? What? You know, why? Why do we need this? Like, why do we have to fuse nationalism and sports together? And when when Mark Cuban made the decision to do it, nobody knew about it for ten weeks until the Athletic reported it, and then all of a sudden it became league policy again. You had a great quote. This should happen everywhere. You tweeted, if you think the anthem needs to be played before sporting events, then play it before every movie concert. And what good reason is it to play the anthem for a game? I was like, he's right. After the World Cup, the Olympics, maybe a, a semi, you know, maybe a, a high state high school or college final. I don't I don't need to hear it. It probably it'd be more special. Why is the why do we why do we go back and forth and waffle on this? Is it just it's gonna cost us dollars if we piss off the real faux patriots <laughs> well yeah it's it just strange to me i mean not even getting into the politics of it, it yeah. just, it's strange to me like you say like why do we why do we play it why the connection between sports and and patriotism and not movies and patriotism and not concerts and patriotism like the one somebody had tweeted out i don't know in the summer or whatever like we're at a concert where there's actually people who can play music and they don't play the national anthem. So why are we doing it at, I think they were saying at a football game. And, you know, when you look at stuff like that, you go, yeah, I, I, it just, a lot of it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and yeah. it's become to me a, you know, unfortunately it, it's become a very divisive issue the national yeah. anthem um and i think what we have to understand is if we're going to play the national anthem then we have to understand that not everyone is going to have the same view of our country as everyone else and we need to allow them to express that i mean if we're going to start the game making a political statement now they'll say it's not it's just the national anthem it's a political statement oh, to honor yeah. our country i think we have to you know give people the room to not honor our country because not everyone's had the same experience here as everyone else and so to me have the anthem or not but if you're gonna have it then forcing everyone to respond in the same way to it to me doesn't seem fair and it certainly is not progressive well I mean, plus we're in this red versus blue world now like i live 35 minutes from the steps of the capitol and you know like i'm sorry the flag the, the flag was used as a weapon to to beat a cop and so i'm thinking to myself like what 
how you know the flag and the and the and the anthem now become weaponized like these new referendums on patriotism it's like what what does it have to do with how much you love this country like cuban cuban started the fallen heroes fund and has raised tons of money for wounded warriors and vets he's more he's more patriotic than anybody complaining about him not being patriotic <laughs> yeah I mean, it's just it, stupid. It, it really is sort of crazy all of these things and you know the thing that to me is the is the most disturbing right now. Um, and I don't care which side you're on. I, I think we'd all yeah. have to agree that we're not in any way a united country. I mean, we're yeah. at, at least two different countries, maybe even more. Um, and, and the thing that concerns me, you know, Joe Biden talks a lot about unity. I don't even know if it's possible right now because I don't see us as having shared values. In fact, we don't even share the same facts, let alone the same values. That's the scariest thing. Share the same facts and then just disagree on what the solutions were. Now we don't share the same facts. We're in this post-fact world and we don't share any values. Like I think people on the other side look at people like me and say, what the hell are you talking about? Like they don't understand. And I don't understand them like we're not I don't know what values we share and so when you don't share values I don't know how you come together and and that makes me Mike very pessimistic yeah Um, thing that gives me optimism is people my players ages and my kids ages my kids are in their 20s my players most of them are in their early 20s you know those people I think, look at people different, look at issues like equality different. They're yeah. all hope because our generation, quite honestly, has screwed everything up. I mean, uh, it's distressing to me what a bad job we've done in terms of like, I think our parents had a, had a great, you know, one of their great goals was, I think all of our parents' goals was they were going to leave the world a better place for their kids and the next generation, both within their own family, but in broader picture for the next generation. Now we might disagree on some of the things they believe in, but I think they genuinely had a commitment to that. And I think we've been the me generation. And so if I can make more money, the hell with pollution and what happens to the climate Mm. and everything else, if I can keep more money in my pocket then I don't care if there's people out there that could benefit from, you know, more government assistance and a higher tax rate on them. We've become the me generation. And and, and to me, um, that's all of us. That's not one party as opposed to the other that we've, we've not lived up to what I would think would be our obligation to our kids in the next generation. And so we've kicked the can down the road and we're going to have to leave it to them to, uh, you know, to do the pooper scooping after us and, and pick it up and try to make it all better. And uh, luckily, I think they're going to be up to the challenge. I, I've yeah. seen some young people that give me tremendous hope. And uh, I think once they can get us the hell out of the way, maybe we've got a chance. Yeah. I, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, it, it's, uh, it, you know, um, you, you're almost from the mutual admiration society. I'm always seeing stuff you, th- you, you put out there and it makes me think, and one thing I can't stand 
it doesn't matter if it's my old buddy Frank Isola who's like, you know, what, what are you, what, what, what are you, this guy with white guilt? And I'm like, no, no, I, I don't have white guilt. I have human contempt for people that don't treat other people like uh, people that look like them. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I wonder. We talked about your your parents, uh, uh, Bill Van Gundy, your mother Cindy, who I've talked to in the stands many times, having covered Jeff for many years as a coach and and known you and both um, the family. Did, did you get did you get your social conscience from them, or is this something that grew and developed as you started working in college in the league? And uh, and you know it was just sort of a, it became like almost a learned thing more than um, an inbred thing. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Look, I, I think I got my integrity. I think I learned a lot of that from my parents, for sure. My dad's a very principled guy. My mom's yeah. a very principled person. I got that from them. But they're both really, really conservative. We don't agree on much at all <laughs> politically. When we get to issues of, of racial justice, we agree on virtually everything. Um, but aside from that, there's yeah. not much we're going to agree on. Um, Jeff's definitely more conservative than you. A little bit, but not a whole lot. Yeah, um, that's true. Not a whole lot. Um, but I, I think for me, it's it's just been an evolution over time. And mm. certainly the more time I spent around people in college and in this league and hearing their stories, people of color, you know, hearing their stories of things that happened, I mean, one of the most profound for me was, you know, working when I first came to the NBA with Bob McAdoo, somebody who I like and respect, mm -hmm. you know, at a very, I mean, Bob, Bob's one of the best people you could ever meet. And, and him talking about growing up in segregated schools and how they were treated. And Bob's older than I am, but not by a lot, you know, and how he came up through, and it just, you look at that and you, you say, that's not very long ago. This is totally unfair. I mean, he, he mm. yeah, Bob made it out because he could play basketball, but you can just see, you know, all those other kids that grew up with Bob and didn't have his talent, not getting the opportunities and things like that. It, it's not a fair world. And to me, if we believe in the American ideals and the American dream, we should want it to be available to everybody. And, and, and that's the distressing thing to me is so many people seem to want to have it for themselves, but not mm. make it available. And so, yeah, for me, it's been more hearing all the stories, you know, like I say all the time, I, I haven't met a black person, uh, an adult, somebody my age or close, anybody who gets kids that become teenagers especially boys that haven't had to sit them down and have a talk about what you do when a police officer pulls you over when you're driving so that you come home safely. And that just, when I first started hearing it, mm. I thought it was sort of isolated and maybe alarmist. And then you, it's everybody. And you just say like, that's got to piss you off that like, I have a, I have four kids and one of them's a son and he's 26. I, I've never had that conversation. Yeah. He gets pulled over. Number one, he probably deserved it. And number two, he's going to get a ticket and he's going to be retreated. Okay. And he's going to come home. I'm not telling him to keep both hands on the steering wheel and, 
ask for permission to open the glove box. I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. I don't have to do any of that. And the fact that other people do, and you know, I've had any number of players and assistant coaches who get pulled over driving in their own neighborhoods at home, because obviously they have some money and they're in a nice neighborhood and they're driving a nice car. And some police officer doesn't think they belong there because because they're, they have the wrong color skin. Like, you know, I'll have people say to me, well, what's the big deal? He pulled him over. He didn't do anything. Once he knew he left there, he let him go. I said, it's humiliating. What somebody's telling you, even when they let you go, what they're telling you, because you didn't, weren't doing anything wrong. You weren't speeding. Mm. You weren't doing anything. What they're telling you is you don't belong here. And that has to seep into your psyche at some point. And mm. I don't know how people can just brush that off as no big deal. You know, um, it it, it just, those are the stories that have sort of brought me along initially. And then you get into all these things happening and, and, you know, you read statistics and what's going on. and, And we're just, we're a very unequal country and look we always have been and and that's what i think where mm. you sort of lose people and, and they you piss them off is when you say we're a racist country and we always have been oh my god people go through the roof but the facts are are there right. i mean right the they don't, nobody wants there. to hear that because then their hackles get up and they have they play mental gymnastics in their own mind like if he's calling, if he's saying that, that that means that I'm, or my parents were, and I can't let myself believe that because then it means I'm a bad person. And I can't believe it. Like, it's like, you're not a bad person. We just move forward. You know, we get better. And, and it's, it's, you know, we have to, we have to deal with these things. And as you said, have some, some empathy for what's going on and try to make some corrections. I mean, we, we have a huge, wealth gap in this country um between you know black yeah. people white people and wealth you know income is income but wealth is generational you know it it builds from generation to generation over families and so because of slavery and jim crow and and things like that Black people are are way behind. And if nothing, if we don't do something, nothing will ever change. They can't catch up. Yeah, they can start to grow some wealth, but I'm generations ahead of them. Yeah. Generations ahead of them. They will never, they will never catch up. And and how people can think that that's fair, I don't know. And, And so, you know, you really want to raise the hackles of conservatives, start talking about reparations and things. But, but I don't know what the alternative to equality is if you don't have reparations. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's a crazy talk. The idea that something could be coming out of my paycheck based on the color of my skin is frightening. But I'm also like, irrespective of my uh, the color of my skin, it's, there's still stuff coming out for other things. <laughs> like, I, if I had a reparation, like, I mean... I, at some point, it makes sense. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how or why, and, I, and it, it'll probably won't won't come before we get rid of everybody that uh, that voted for Donald Trump. But but it's just uh, I, I'm with you in so many ways. I wanted to 
switch really quick because I know we don't have all the time in the world. Um, you mentioned Frank Vogel and um, God darn it, uh, Eric Spolstra earlier. And I thought to myself, you know, what's too about those guys is one, they obviously paid their dues on the way up, but they never played the game. Uh, they never played the game at that level. And, and, and I always hated, especially when Jeff would like, sort of like, uh, how's Jeff, how's Jeff gonna, you know, Lord over a locker room with Patrick Ewing and, Sure enough, the players respected him, like irrespective of the fact that he never had an NBA career. I hate the labels, but one, I feel like um, that's your story in in a way. Like that's your story. You 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 know you had it. You you played in college, right? I played small college, not well. <laughs> right. Well, not well. well. So same same here. I got scored on by Scott Brooks. Scored thirty five on my team once. I never got off the bench at American River Junior College. Sadly enough. But um, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I know the, it, but you, but you like have captured like you worked with Dwayne Wade, you developed that guy at an early age, and I think to myself, I'm sure you have a great relationship with him now. Like, what was Dwayne Wade like that area? And, and obviously, he saw something in you that he knew you knew more about the game than him, and you could bring it out in it. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, I really don't know. <laughs> I'm about reaching. That. I'm reaching. What I did for Dwayne Wade was basically uh, put him out there and give him the ball. That's what I <laughs> Eric Spolstra was an assistant at the time, did a great job okay. uh, developing it, uh, him. I, I don't think I had a lot to do with that at all. But <laughs> I, I do think, you know, it's like a lot of things. Um, I think coaches can come from a variety of different backgrounds. And I think guys who played the game um, – have certain advantages. And I think those of us who weren't good enough to play the game and started focusing on coaching maybe earlier have certain advantages. I mean, I, I just don't think there's, there's one mold yeah. into, you know, you've got to do this, 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 and this to get there. Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, there's some great stories of people who have worked their way up in the video room. And then there's, you know, guys like Steve Nash who finish a playing career and, and go straight to being yeah. a coach. I mean, look, Pat Riley didn't spend much time as an assistant coach, yeah. you know, and he played the game. So I, I just, there's a lot of different yeah. backgrounds and, and there's not one. And, and, you know, it, it it's, yeah, I think we all sort of lean to the guys who have more of the background I do, but um, you know that's who you sort of gravitate to and root for, and in the whole thing. But I've seen great coaches with all kinds of uh, different routes to get there. So was there I, I don't a fork? Think there was, was any one way? I cut you off, but was there a fork in the road in your career where somebody reached out and said, "Look." Uh, you know, obviously you work for Pat Riley, maybe, but was there a fork in the road where that, you know, that you can point to and say, I could have went this way, I could have went this way, and this happened? I've just been really, really lucky. I'm, I'm, you know, and, and the luckiest thing is, you know, I, I got I got fired at the University of Wisconsin in right. 1995. And the, the timing of my firing proved to be fortuitous because, you know, I was looking for college jobs after that, even applying for jobs, Mike, at like 
the division two level coming from Wisconsin. And I was just stuck. I got a couple of interviews, but I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, and, and then Pat left the Knicks, you know, sort of middle of the night. And my brother had another year on his contract. And so Pat wanted to bring him. That's on, right. But the Knicks wouldn't let him. And so Pat was looking for people. And my brother said, oh, you should talk to my brother, which got me the fact that Jeff had done a good job for Pat got me an opportunity to interview. And I ended up lucky enough to, you know, to get on his staff in Miami. And, and so, you know, it, if I had been fired a year later at Wisconsin, if they had given me another year, I, I don't have any idea where I'd be. You <laughs> know? I mean, it just th That's the thing. I mean, people, I think we all want to believe that we're where we are because of our great merit and everything else. And so much of it is, and I'm not trying to be overly modest. When you get your opportunity, you have to be good at it. Yeah. So much of getting the opportunity is just luck. And I've coached at the division three, division two, division one levels in college, and now the NBA. And at every level, I can point to guys who are just as good as the people that I'm coaching against in the NBA, but they just haven't had the same opportunities. Yeah. So, I, I don't agree. know why people want to discount that or feel it makes them less than. It's the same thing when we're talking social stuff. To say there's white privilege, I'm not discounting someone's hard work and what they've done and everything else. I'm just saying you weren't held back by the color of your skin. That's right. all I'm saying. But that that really upsets people. And it's yeah. the same thing if you say to anyone, wow, you were really lucky to get where you are. I mean, Jeff and I's story, and I mean, I sort of ridden Jeff's coattails to the NBA, but it all started with him having a really good high school sophomore, his one year as a high school coach, and Stu Jackson comes in, sees him work the kid out, recommends that Rick Pitino hire him. All right, he's in Rochester, that's right. Yeah, it starts Jeff's whole path to eventually coming into the NBA yeah. with Stu Jackson, and then he goes through this whole cycle and then brings yeah. me into the NBA. If it wasn't for Greg Woodard at McQuaid Jesuit High School in Rochester, <laughs> you know, I mean, who knows where we are? I, I'm a small college coach, and I don't know where where Jeff is. So there's a lot of luck involved in this, you know. Yeah, but you guys, once you guys got your chances, I look at, uh, and you, I'm completely with you. I, the 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 game in which just tore your heart out at the time. I remember walking into the locker room after it happened, and and I was covering the Knicks and. And Alan Houston hits that crazy shot in game five in 99 and, and it rolls in. And, and I remember um, talking to Jeff about it years later, because Checkets was, you know, there was no clear thing that Jeff was coming back and all this thing was happening. And, and Checkets literally went to lunch with him that week. And I can tell the story now. He, I like, oh, what do you think is going to happen to Jeff? And he's like, yeah, after they lose this series, he's probably going to, you know, become a, you know, uh, maybe he'll get a division two head job. He could be a division one assistant. He could be an NBA assistant again. And I'm like, you don't see him as a head coach? And he goes, come on, Jeff Van Gundy? I mean, this is like two weeks before, you know, he's going into the playoffs. And so so I'm looking at this now and I'm going, and Jeff said it right. And he goes, you know, if that shot went in or not, I'm not a good, better coach or worse coach. It just happened. And I got a contract extension and we went to the finals that year. And and so, you know, and I remember you coming in and you were just like torn apart and uh I don't know. What's your relationship with Riley now? Like, where, where, where are you with Pat really, Riley? I don't really have one. I mean, um, 
yeah. have great, I have a great appreciation um, for the opportunity that he gave me. And I have, um, you know, uh, great appreciation for everything that I learned from him, which was, yeah, which was substantial. So, um, you know, there's no, and I hope there's not on his part. I mean, there's no, you know, animosity or anything. I just, you know, just yeah. haven't maintained a, uh, a relationship with him. And was that after the firing in Miami since then? Well, I didn't get fired in Miami. People don't want to believe that, but I truly did step away. You resigned. I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. Um, you know, well, Shaq was being Shaq was being a Shaq pain was in the not ass. being a problem. I mean, he yeah, wasn't okay. No, Shaq was not being a problem. I, I truly, Shaq was actually hurt to begin that year. He came back, played one game before I resigned, but I'd already yeah. worked out the deal with Pat and Mickey to resign. No, Shaq was Shaq was great with me. Um, and Orlando had to give Miami draft picks to hire. Yeah, him. a couple years later, that got a little crazy, but. Um, but no, I walked away on the Miami thing on my own. Um, okay. Not any regrets that I did that. I was really, uh, really unhappy at the time. There were just things going on I didn't like, and uh, yeah, and got away from it, and then had a great experience in Orlando, and um, you know, it, it, it's yeah. all been good. But I, but I have great appreciation. Yep. You know, well, I Jeff told me without Pat. Yeah, Jeff, you don't have to go further on this, but Jeff told me something once, and I remember it well. He goes. He goes, the guy taught me so much, and I rolled my NBA start to him. I went, he goes, but he goes, I during some of those playoff series, and you know, after the stuff with my brother, he goes, I, I just I saw a different side of him, and you know, I'll never disrespect him as a basketball coach and what he's done. He goes, I just saw a difference. He was a different person than I thought. And look, I can see that. I don't, I don't think that there's anything that would tell no, me no, otherwise. Look, I mean, it, it's I'm not. Like I'm not a, I, I don't dislike the guy. I don't right. I just haven't maintained a relationship. Okay. Like I've maintained a relationship with Eric and you know with Bob McAdoo and Keith Askins and guys I worked with there. You know and yeah, uh, Miami Heat did a lot for me, um, and Pat was a huge part of that. So um, you appreciate people like that in your life, and we all have. If we're honest, we all have a lot of people like that in our life. People that did a lot for us that we had great relationships with that furthered our lives and life goes on. I mean, I, I left there in 2005. And so it's been a long time. I mean, a lot of us, I mean, yeah. you know, lose contact with people that we haven't worked with in 15, 16 years, you know, that's a rare group of people that you maintain contact with for that long. So, yeah. um, I don't see anything uh, that's right. strange about the fact that we haven't maintained a relationship. All right. I got two, uh, two minutes left. I just a lightning round. I want to get you out of here. All-star game. Should it be played? I, I'm, I'm thinking if enough players don't want to do it, I, it just seems like a luxury and still COVID America that we don't need to take advantage of. I know that they need the money, but I don't think we need to play it, but, but that's just me. Yeah, but the whole season has been about money. That's why we're playing. I mean, yeah. we're playing it for everybody. So so I don't know whether we should or not, but you could make the same case for the season in general that we shouldn't be playing it. But it's a money, it's a money grab. That's what it is. And and we're all like me too. Players, yeah. everybody, the league, we want our money. So why would the all-star game be be any different? That's that's fair. That's fair. 
Um, last one. Um, will this Pelicans team uh, make the playoffs under Stan Van Gundy this season? Well, we certainly hope so. And, and I look, I, I think that um, it will all be, as we will say to our guys again today, Mike, it will yeah. all be determined on where we can get to defensively. Um, you know, it, it just, we have to improve on that end. And, and I'm not laying all of that on them. As I told them, it's a group thing. We've got to do a better job teaching game plan system, whatever. And they've got to put more into it in terms of focus and effort. If we can get to the top half of the league defensively, then we've got a shot at the playoffs, even in a loaded Western conference. If we can't, then we probably don't. I think your guys are like, they, 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 you're right. They're at that fork in the road. They can be really special as a young team and with some nice vets, or they can go the other way. And I'm like, I want to go down there right now. I want to run like the thing from Miracle where the guy, you know, Kurt Brooks goes again, again. It just keeps running their asses until they get it. Well, and, and Mike, that's a great point because that's how I think actually that you, we, you build the defense is it's repetition every day in practice. And I think we came out of training camp with that basis. And because of the number of games and my newfound softness and compassion for keeping everybody fresh. We just haven't had the, we haven't had the time to drill and repeat and repeat yeah. and repeat and repeat. And, you know, we have lost whatever it is that we had coming out of training camp and we've got to, you know, we've got to try to slowly get it back. Um, again, I'm, I'm counting on the character of our guys and their commitment and everything else to start making strides in that area, but it's going to have to be a nightly focus possession by possession. Yeah, and I know the work's going to help. Thank you so much for being part of this. I just want to say you've put yourself on the road to uh, wonderful things. Uh, Jeannie busted this podcast, and the Lakers won a title. Um, uh, I think Roger Mason Jr. got his own business. I, I don't want to say that I'm a good luck charm, but okay. um, the, 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 I am, and it's true. Oh, that's good. I'll take it. <laughs> that was dope. <laughs> Thanks to my guest. Pelicans head coach, Stan Van Gundy. And also thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein. Kristen Woolley is our editor now. Thanks, Kristen. Welcome aboard. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court with Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay has the best in college hoop each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here every Wednesday. Last week, they had a great visit with former North Carolina coach, Matt Doherty. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with my friend Monica McNutt and King McClure drops on Thursday. And B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And, of course, I've got a new Mike Wise show every Monday. We also have a bunch of great segments you can check out on the Pure Hoops Media YouTube channel. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. We've had so many stupid bonus tracks from 2020 already this year. But I hope 2021 is when we snuff this pandemic out as soon as possible. When you qualify for the vaccination, please do the right thing. But until that day arrives, keep your guard up. Wear the mask in public to protect yourselves and others. Hell, listen to Dr. Fauci. Wear two masks. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Be considerate of others. And keep all the medical professionals in your prayers. They're still our heroes. Till next time, peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.